electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The stunning number of big names bailing on big tech. What that says about your own money's next move. We'll debate that with the investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Take a look at stocks. We begin there. Higher across the board today. Russell's a touch lower. It's basically flat. There's the 10-year note yield, 162. Uh, it's the NASDAQ that was lagging early on. Everything's about the same as we speak. Home Depot was giving a nice lift to the Dow earlier. Not quite as much right now. Tech. That's where we're going to kick things off today. The release of those closely watched filings showing several big name investors selling down their tech holdings. Our Leslie Picker, as usual, following the money for us down now. What, what do we make of what we've learned here, Les? Yeah, Scott, it's really difficult to say whether this is a big sentiment shift or if it's simply profit-taking in light of what they saw during the third quarter. So we did, given the managers that we track, see some pulling back in big tech during the third quarter. David Tepper's Appaloosa, for example, reducing his position in Amazon by 44%. That stake now worth about $250 million. Andreas Halverson's Viking Global slashed Amazon by 57% after holding $1.6 billion dollars worth at the end of Q2. Now that stake worth about two-thirds of a billion dollars. Co2, Corvex, D1, and Melvin also decreased their Amazon stakes in Q3, but didn't dissolve them completely. Now, we saw a similar trend with Facebook, now known as Meta, during the quarter. Dan Sunheim's D1 reduced its stake by more than a quarter. Viking also sold off some of its exposure in Facebook. Gabe Plotkin's Melvin and George Soros pulling back on Google parent company Alphabet. Most managers we track, including Berkshire Hathaway, really did keep their Apple holdings the same during the quarter, except for Keith Meister's Corvex, which disclosed a new put position on Apple. Now, the counterpoint is from Third Point, which added to stakes in Alphabet and Amazon during the quarter. Important to note, Scott, as always, when we cover these 13Fs, these positions are really a snapshot from the end of the third quarter, in this case, September 30th. The positions may have changed in the six weeks since then. Scott. Not, not to mention that it's, it's always hard to read into what the actual motive is from each of exactly. these big name investors. And at least as it relates to, let's say, mm -hmm. um, Corvex, which, you know, ha has some puts on, on Apple or the, or the ARC fund. It's, it's my understanding that those are out of the money portfolio hedges rather than some sort of big directional bet against either, which underscores the point that you made. Be careful of how you read these things and try and make investment decisions as a result. 
That's right. And of course, big tech as a whole represents so much of the broader market. Um, and so it could be a simple beta play. They just don't want to have as much exposure to the broader market. Um, and they may be getting that exposure somewhere else or it could be directional. They may say, OK, you know, I'm looking ahead at what's going on in the future. Maybe we should reduce some of this exposure, increase our exposure elsewhere in order to be more diversified. Yeah, let's appreciate it as always, uh, giving us the kickoff uh, today. So, Dr. J, um, you have a lot of big tech exposure. And, and look, I mean, I, I haven't spoken with, with David Tepper, um, so I can't tell you what his motive is in, in how he has reduced or why he has reduced some of these positions to the level he did. I would just go back to what he told our viewers during our 10th anniversary week. The, the point being, if, if you think that rates are going to go up from here, then that could be directionally bad for the NASDAQ and just tech in general. Um, it is interesting that of this filing, of the last time we get a, a read into it, he reduced his exposure to Amazon by 44%. Your three biggest positions within the big tech landscape, uh, Microsoft's number one, Apple's number three, and you have Tesla sandwiched in the middle. But what are we to make of, of this? It raises the question, is it time to take a look at some of your holdings and maybe lighten up a little bit? Um, I think that's probably what these uh, men and women were doing, Scott. Um, I think in many cases, uh, my positions, for instance, in Facebook and Tesla, I was selling out of a lot of stock in each, but not giving up on either. Um, Tesla, as you said, still my second largest position right now, but that's through exposure and options. Um, when you see a run like we've had in Tesla or like that run in Facebook, um, those kind of uh, really uh, tempt you to take some of that exposure down. Um, and so I did that in the stock of both, and I went over into the options. I haven't sold a single share of Apple um, because it, quite frankly, has not had as much of an outperformance year as either of those first two. But Microsoft, oh my gosh, this one just on fire. I know we're talking tech later in the show as well, but Microsoft is the best tech stock in the land. No question about it. Yeah. And I don't intend on lightening up on that one at all. Scott. I mean, we're, we're only talking about it later in the context of a call and some software names, which Microsoft gets lumped in in, in there with. So we'll, we'll save that particular part of the conversation for there. Um, Microsoft's up 51 and percent year to date. Alphabet is the outperformer of the group, Josh, at 69 and percent. So rather than try to read into the minds of these big, uh, famous investors, just what about the idea as you view the market, Josh, these stocks have gone up a lot this year. Um, they've been the place to be in, in, a, in a large respect. Is it time to rethink some of these things now if you look at a horizon where you see rates moving higher? I, I, so I don't I, I guess I don't really look at it like a rates play up or down to own the best companies in the world. Um, and I understand why you would see some money coming out of Amazon. It's been dead money all year. And if you're running a hedge fund competitively and like trying to make money every day, every month, every quarter, it's a lot of pressure to have a large position in a mega cap stock that's going nowhere. Most people don't feel that pressure because they're not playing that same game. So I don't think 99.99% of our viewers should be reacting to 13F filings from 90 days ago, uh, 45 days ago, um, as though there's some requirement that they play along. A really great example of why this is an important, we would all agree that one of Carl Icahn's greatest trades of his whole career 
is Apple. He correctly identified it was a way undervalued mispriced security. He bought a ton of it. He negotiated publicly with Tim Cook to get them to start buying back stock in addition to the dividend. It worked out beautifully. He made a ton of money. You know when he sold Apple? April of 2016, he announced he was completely out. Apple is up 500% since then. Not exaggerating. 492% since uh, 2016. So it's not that he did something wrong. He exited a trade that worked out really well for him. That means nothing about the future course of where a stock might go. Of course. Because everyone's in the market with different time horizons and, and different hurdle rates on the trades they do. So I don't agree that what we saw in the 13Fs represent some sort of mass exodus on the part of uh, big money or smart money from tech. It's people taking profits in Alphabet. It's people getting bored of Amazon. Amazon, by the way, is a consumer discretionary. It not, it's not even in the tech index. But you do. Neither is Alphabet if we're going to be technical. Look, you, you do have to, though, consider what's going to work and what's not going to work as well as it has worked if interest rates do have a trajectory that is somewhat meaningfully higher from, from where we are. No, you can't, and let you me can't say prove this too. correlation, though, let me say with, this, with Let me stocks. say this, too. We're not just talking about 13Fs from big whale investors, either. Um, if you look at the Bank of America flow show note today, tech and industrials saw the biggest sales. So directionally, there That's does seem data. to be a, a move or at least a nervousness um, or a profit-taking, however you want to characterize it. Some money is starting to come out of tech. Bottom line, whether it's weak whether it's three months ago, whether it's three minutes ago. You, are you dismissive of the whole okay. idea? I, I, there's no forward signal in weekly fund flows. Nobody at Bank of America would tell you there is. It's very noisy data. Okay, so let's move on. Let's move on. So, Bryn, I take, um, I take some big-name investors lightening up on tech. I've got a weekly directional flow from Bank of America saying tech saw the biggest sales. How do you view that space right now? in light of where rates are and where you think they may go. Let's try and play it that way. Yeah, so, so, so let's theorize that the reason why these, these, these gentlemen sold that was because they think inflation or interest rates are moving up. Let's just have that conversation. And so play this out next year. So right now, Fed funds are at zero to 25. So let's say, as you know, David Costin said, we think in the summer 2022 till the end of the year, we get two rate hikes. So that would put Fed funds ending the year around 75 basis points. And let's say the 10-year goes to 2%. So do we think tech does good in a 75 basis point Fed funds in a 2% 10-year? I would say absolutely. Because what you really have to game theory out here is that right now we have U.S. debt at almost $30 trillion. If the average interest rate across the curve is 1%, that is $300 billion in annual interest expense. So the Fed number one, I don't think can raise rates very much past that. And also, secondly, do you know how, what a debt overhang does to GDP growth? And so then I could play that out, that actually GDP growth continues to slow. And so where does that circle you back to? It circles to big tech 
or just tech in general. So I think the next six months could be rocky for tech. And so what I would be doing is I wouldn't be reducing. I would be taking my positions and more selling calls against those where I can get some premium just to kind of buy my time. Because I definitely think we're going to have lower GDP growth longer term. And the Fed is in a position where they can't raise rates much more than two. And so that tells me I want to be long tech long term, but maybe sell some calls and take advantage of the volatility. That's probably going to come the next six months. Yeah. Interesting way to play it. Jason Snipe, you're overweight tech. You own a lot of these names. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and I agree with with uh, Bryn here. I think, you know, when I think about tech and I think about kind of the rate story and, and what's going on, you know, the major themes for me when it, as it relates to tech is just the digital transformation and the cloud. You know, so I, I agree that there might be some some volatility ahead as, as rates move. But, you know, again, we when we've talked about the rate story throughout this year and on this show, it has been about the velocity of the rate movement. And, you know, when you have companies that are spending off billions of dollars of free cash flow, I think they could absorb, you know, small, small movements in rates. And I, and I think they are very much in line with the secular trend when it comes to cloud and digital transformation. So I think you have to be long these companies, you know, here into the year end and obviously going into 2022 so, as well. So, so Josh, let me, let, me, let me try again. Let me try and play it this way. If the 10-year moves towards 2% <laughs> in, in 2022, is the NASDAQ going to thrive in that environment or, or not? And it's not a rhetorical question. I, I want to know your view on it because yeah, I think a lot of people no, would say, no, it's I not think- going to. I think it's a very, I think it's a very fair question. I don't think that uh, we'll play this same game, um, pricing stocks off of 2025 earnings and and using discount rates that way. Uh, if in fact you have a steepening yield curve, and if in fact there's an actual cost to capital, um, and so absolutely there's there's a, a great case to be made that tech might be uh, a lagging sector. In, in 2022. That doesn't mean it has to be negative. And again, it doesn't mean you have to care. And I can make an opposite case where rates never go anywhere. And the Fed could say whatever it wants. But the reality is what's suppressing yields is demand coming from all over the world. And so the Fed can only hike rates, uh, overnight rates so far when the longer end of the curve says, yeah, LOL, and inverts again. So I can make both I can make both stories sound plausible. I don't think that that is a good uh, 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 yardstick by which we should be arranging the assets in our accounts. Rate predictions. Uh, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith said that the only reason economic predictions exist is to make astrology uh, look look uh, respectable. So that's for me. That's not a good reason to buy or sell shares in companies. A, a rate prediction for the midpoint of 2022. So I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be difficult on purpose. I'm just trying to give you another premise different than your premise, which is most of these companies in the Nasdaq are loaded with cash and more than equipped to deal with two percent Fed funds rate, a two percent ten year, if that's in fact where we end up, and 50 basis points in overnight Fed funds rates. Like most of these companies will be absolutely fine. I really don't understand what the panic is about. All right. So, John Nigerian, let me ask you this. For the next six months, would you rather own tech or would you rather own some more cyclically, uh, cyclically, cyclical stocks? Um, would you rather own discretionary off the retail number today? Would you rather own an Endeavor group 
or would you rather own a big tech? If you didn't own either today and you're saying, okay, I need more bang for my buck over the next six months, I'm not exactly sure where I should put it. Should I put it in discretionary or should I put it in tech? Well, um, here's the way I'd play it, Scott. Number one, I think Bryn has been right on. Uh, Exactly. Options on Bitcoin. Um, I think Bryn has been spot on with her energy plays here. And that will certainly give you some alpha based on what we're seeing as far as demand. As far as um, what has just been, you know, the, the, the talking point of any tech company for the last two or three weeks, it has been meta and not just the former Facebook, but what is the metaverse going to be? You know, whether it's NVIDIA, whether it's Qualcomm, whether it's any of the companies that really stand to benefit from that. So if you wanted to shun tech right as people are really focusing in on that potential, you know, everybody from the CEO of Disney onto the investor day today. And it's with not necessarily Qualcomm. shunning it. I mean, they're all. It's not, it's not shunning it. Let's, let's just play no. an overweight versus underweight game. I mean, do I want a, a Home Depot, Walmart? Um, you know, some of those other names here forward, say, for the next six months? Or do I want to think that the gains that were, that were made this year and some of the big tech names, as I read, can be duplicated? You know, it's not, it's not an either no, or. What do you- Home, Depot is, Home Depot is up 45% okay. from, Home Depot is up 45% this year. I don't know that that's a great stock for if you really think rates are meaningfully rising. That's a, that, that's a, that's a low rate story. So, there, you know, it's, it's not just tech that could be susceptible to uh, contracting uh, multiples if they raise rates. Like, there will be other areas of this market that would face, theoretically could face a challenge if rates go up too far too fast. But again, I don't think that anyone's talking about too far too fast. This process has been glacial and hasn't even yet begun. No doubt. So I really, I really feel like we, sh- we can handle this. Well, where do you want to be then, Bryn? Because the other side of the flow show note from Bank of America is that buying of energy stocks was the largest in the history of the data back to 08. So people continue to look at energy, which, you know, Tom Lee comes on and says it's his number one sector. The flows continue to suggest that people see it as undervalued still, even after these massive moves. You're in the heart of it down in, in Houston. What do you think? Yeah, well, so first of all, energy year to day has has done fantastic, right? Depending on what you, where you owned, whether it was XLE or XOP, 50 to 70%. Take a step back, though, and look back the past 10 years. And while the NASDAQ, which I own and will continue to own, the Qs, has annualized 20% for the last 10 years, the S&P has annualized 16.5%, while XLE has annualized 1.51% for the last 10 years. So looking backwards, energy's been a horrible investment. It's been, a, you know, an asset destructor, while the tech has been the bell of the ball. I do believe in mean reversion, though, especially when it comes to financial markets. And so I think that if you're not in energy, you do need to understand there's some really strong structural catalyst that is just getting started. And the biggest one that I think investors need to get their arms around is that we're in a situation where in 2022, we could have demand outstrip supply for the first time in history. And why that is so is because, you know, OPEC plus is is still issuing supply, but the non-OPEC players 
have been very anemic because they're being bullied by ESG investors and the politicians. And so once those airplanes start flying around the world and once we all continue to consume energy, we're in a very, very tight market. And forget weather for a second. I don't think investors understand that. You also have the big companies, you know, pulling back on CapEx of of long duration energy reserves. And so once again, oil has this thing called a decline curve. If you don't keep pumping less, it's not infinite amount. And so I think there's multiple structural headwinds that if you want to have a an inflation sensitive reopening play, energy is actually, I think, the most inflation sensitive reopening play that you could have. But I'm still going to barbell that with tech because I, I know tech. I love it. I know these companies are growing. And to Josh's point, the cash flow nature of the Nasdaq just can't can't be ignored. Yeah. You know what? One more quick point. Um, since Bryn just was talking about inflation and we're talking about the prospect of higher rates, Doc, you know, um, I, I look at the moves today as we're going to talk about the, the desk moves. I see no major moves from you. I, I do see golds now at, at its highest level since June. And I'm thinking it's got to be why, why isn't John, for example, uh, in the miners doing anything in the, in the gold area these days? Yeah, and uh, I think that harkens back to Josh's point about uh, upside call buying in uh, digital assets like Bitcoin. Um, I think the the buyers now, Scott, are not buying gold um, in anywhere near the same percentages that they had been as far as portfolios. As far as young investors, we know that it's flipped completely the other way. Crypto. They are shunning investments like gold and going into crypto. Crypto yeah. is the new so inflation hedge. It, and, we, and we've been talking about that, right? That, that's the point you're making, is that crypto yep. is now the inflation hedge over gold. Gold can still rise, but it's not going to rise to the degree that it once did in the past when there was no competition, in quotes. Yep. You're not getting near the same lift. I'm sure you still have various times of the year in India and elsewhere where gold is bought in big amounts. But nonetheless, it is not bought more than that supply versus demand that Bryn was just speaking to. It's basically that the supply out there is meeting the demand. So you're not seeing that kind of price appreciation that you would if all of these investors that have put nearly three trillion into crypto now were instead looking at gold. Yeah. Speaking of uh, crypto, Josh, you're buying more Solana. I am. Uh, I'm adding to Solana and Polkadot. I don't I have too much um, Bitcoin and Ethereum relative to some of the smaller protocols that seem to be much more uh, useful. Uh, Solana's processing transactions much faster than Ethereum, which becomes very important on uh, OpenSea and various platforms uh, that will ultimately start accepting a lot more than Ethereum. And I think when you think about things like the graph and polka dot and some of these smaller protocols that really are connectors and meant to make a lot of this stuff start to work together better. If you stop thinking about these as coins and start thinking about them as as though they were software companies, of course, they're not companies. But if you started to think about them that way as products and companies, uh, I think the use case for a lot of this stuff becomes much more attractive. It's really more a question of nomenclature before these things start to get discovered by mainstream Wall Street. Right. So uh, I've been in this world since 17. I think there's just so much more activity going on in private markets and in, and in crypto than there is among the five you know, biggest stocks that we talk about all the time. So 
that's that's definitely been an area of focus like John. Let me get a quick comment from you, Bryn, on a move that you made. You finally saw enough in the sell off in PayPal, right? And you bought more Friday at 206. It's now at 214. Right. So I talked about last week that as, as Jim came into PayPal also, that, you know, when I believe in the fundamentals, but when the market doesn't and a company, the stock breaks down, you really got to look at technicals. And so that you've are, you've retraced that 2000, that 203 to 2004 price point was a retracement to September, October of 2020. But I would argue that the company is in much better shape and has much better transparency and visibility going forward than it did a year ago. So I bought it on Friday. I'm excited to add to the position. And once again, I think next year when Venmo um, goes on to Amazon and can be you can pay, you can check out using Venmo and Venmo has about 80 million customers. I think people aren't even remotely focusing on that today. So I think that it was a good entry point. It looks like the technicals have held. So it was glad to add to the position. I lied. It's now 215, not 214. Jason Snipe, you bought some more, too. I, I take it you agree with everything Bryn said. I do. I do. Big time. So. Yeah, it's about 30% off its 52-week high. I think the payment trend story is very much intact. You know, payment volumes were up 36%, and Venmo, Venmo payment op- payment uh, was up 36%, and their payment trends, uh, PayPal up 26%. So I think for me, you know, this this is still a great story. You know, I took an opportunity to add to our core position with the pullback. All right, we take a quick break. Qualcomm is beating investors today. The stock's hovering at all-time highs. It's the best-performing semi-stock this month. It's up more than 25%. Should you buy at these levels? Farmer Jim will tell you, and he'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The situation quickly worsening in Eastern Europe. Poland is using water cannons and tear gas to prevent migrants at its border with Belarus from crossing into the European Union. Poland and the EU say that Belarus is encouraging the migrants to cross as revenge for sanctions levied against the country. And Uganda's capital of Kampala, at least three people have been killed and 33 others injured in twin suicide bombings. This is just the latest in a recent series of attacks as officials urge ongoing vigilance. Three suicide bombers were killed in the blast and police apprehended another suspected bomber foiling a possible third attack. 
Juror deliberations are beginning after closing arguments concluded in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. The 18-year-old gunned down two men and injured another during a 2020 protest. His fate now lies in the hands of 12 Wisconsin jurors. And for full coverage and analysis of the trial, tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 Eastern. And in sports, Noah Syndergaard and the Los Angeles Angels reached a one-year, $21 million deal. The 29-year-old right-handed pitcher spent the first seven seasons of his career with the New York Mets. Scott, I'll send it back to you. There he is in that picture there as part of our stock draft, if I remember mm. correctly, too. So we wish him well. Rahel, thank you. Josh Lipton now has a news alert on Activision Blizzard. Josh? So, Scott, we had that news on Activision. The Wall Street Journal dropped that big report this morning saying CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about uh, these sexual misconduct allegations at his company. But so uh, the journal says did not inform the board of some reports. Well, the company is now responding, telling us we are disappointed in the Wall Street Journal's report, which presents an inaccurate and misleading view of Activision Blizzard and our CEO. Instances of sexual misconduct that were brought to his attention were acted upon. And they go on to say we have made significant improvements, including a zero tolerance policy for inappropriate conduct. That stock is down today. It's down about 30 percent this year, the worst of the three big publishers. Scott, back to you. I'm sure on that story. Josh Lipton, thank you for that update there. All right, let's talk about a call today that you need to know about. I want to focus on a software call. Uh, Credit Suisse has initiated on a number of stocks. Uh, outperforms on Microsoft and Salesforce, Snowflake and Palo Alto. It is, though, Josh, the Snowflake one that I wanted to focus on with you. You've been mentioning it um, almost every week as a, you know, just a sign of certain stocks that where the money has really gone into and these stocks have taken off. And this is one of them. Up another 2% today. It is not that far away from a 52-week high, 20-some-odd dollars away from that. Um, Can you tell me why you've been focused on this name um, so heavily recently? Yeah, focused on it but not making any money from it. So I'm kind of a schmuck in terms of Snowflake, to be honest with you. Um, But I think this is an important stock for the market. And the reason why is because it's so emblematic of the, the era that we're in. It's one of these companies that's growing so fast like blinding, like a blinding uh, Kager, like every, every quarter uh, sequentially over the prior quarter is huge, let alone year over year. Um, it came public last December in that last minute rush with all of those SPACs and IPOs. And it came public at what people were saying was ludicrously overvalued levels. Um, it is now back at those levels. The stock was 190 in May. And people thought they had made a mistake paying 300 for it on IPO day. Now it's 400. It's been moving up almost in a straight line on a daily basis. And it's so emblematic because not only is it demonstrating that incredible SaaS cloud uh, business growth, it has all of the right pedigreed investors. Like everyone who's everyone is in here. Now you can add Cowpers to the list. They just filed that they were adding to it last quarter. But like all of the hot hedge funds, venture capitalists, even Warren Buffett got a piece. So it's a very symbolic stock. I think a lot of people look to it as a proxy for that growth at any price trade. And it happens to be working really, really well right now. Yeah. All right. From uh, so-called new tech to so-called old tech, Qualcomm hit a new record high today. Is it meets investors, our own Jim Labenthal joins us now. I had to have you on, Jimmy, um, because 
This stock has been great. All-time highs. It's up 30% this month. You've got some, some, uh, some fan talk on Twitter. Somebody says, please tell Farmer Jim thanks. I followed him in six months ago, and I'm extremely happy, as they should be. Stock's up 30% uh, since then. Is this as good as it gets? That's the key question. That is the key question. The short answer is no. Um, Scott, this is a stock that deserves to trade at a multiple of 20 times. Um, you know, this this year's earnings, and it's got a fiscal year that starts October 1st, it's going to earn over $10 a share. I'm telling you it should be at $210 right now. Um, I'll back off of that and say it should simply be at $200. But the question is, why should it have a 20 times multiple? And the answer to that is answered in today's analyst day where Cristiano Aman is making it clear that his stamp on the company is to diversify away from mobile phones. That's key. That's key because the 16 times multiple the stock trades at right now is based on the fear that Apple will insource uh, their product, uh, create it themselves, and cut out Qualcomm. Now, I think that's very hard to do from a legal perspective. But even so, the fact that uh, Qualcomm has Internet of Things at 20% of their business, growing at 67% year over year, and then there's the automotive where they bought uh, Vioneer recently, and then there's the metaverse. They've got all these things besides just mobile phones that are going to diversify diversify their business and justify that 20 times multiple. So this is Christiana Amon's uh, signature is diversifying. I agree with it. The street agrees with it. Should be $200 right now. I want to say one last thing. This is a clear case in why you have to be patient as an investor, because you will remember, Scott, stock hit about 166 earlier this year and then backed off to about 120, 125. Uh, savvy investors picked up more then. You've just got to bide your time when you've got a quality company like this. Last thing, I'll say it again, should be a $200 stock right now. All right, for the fourth time, this should be a $200 stock in the words of Jim Labenthal. But, I mean, you're not the only one who's bullish on it. Jason Snipe, you own Qualcomm, too? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great company. I mean, Jimmy uh, knocked on a lot of the points that I would mention. Just diversifying away from the headset game, which is they own, quite frankly, um, but what I would say, too, is, you know, the, the legal battles are far behind them. You know, I think that the stock has been consolidating for quite some time. You know, it's up 72 percent last year and it's up 30 percent in the last month. And they had blowout earnings this past quarter. So I really like the runway. I really like the opportunity um, here in the near term and also into 2022 and beyond. So I, I think the earnings growth is there and there's a lot of value here. So, yeah, we're very bullish on Qualcomm. Doc, you bought some new calls today. I understand. Yeah, bought the 165s today, Scott. My intention is uh, that if uh, Jason and uh, Jim are right and this one keeps running, which I think it will, I'll be able to sell higher strike calls against them. Um, when you've got this many levers, I don't know how you uh, don't get into this stock. Like uh, both gentlemen said, the metaverse, um, talked about it at the top of the show, um, how valuable that can be and how every CEO is talking about it. And then self-driving cars and so forth. I mean, Qualcomm is going to be not the one that develops the car, but the one that makes that car work. Um, so I love all the different levers that they can pull here, Scott. And they're moving away from just that commodity business with the phones and phone sets. 
uh, into other businesses that are far more lucrative. All right, we'll keep our eye on that stock as it moves today on Investor Day. You just heard from some happy investors. Jim Labenthal, we'll see you back. Thank you. Still ahead, John has unusual activity coming up. And as we go to break, take a look at the S&P sectors today. S&P is good for one half of 1% led by discretionary. As we talk towards the top of the show, Home Depot, Walmart, good earnings. The stocks, well, not doing equally as great. It's a depot day. Uh, and that's certainly helping the Dow. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're green across the board. As you see there, now, thanks to a new rule in college sports, student athletes can now make money from their name, image, and likeness by entering potentially lucrative sponsorship deals. And now they have to create their own financial playbook. CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us with more on that story. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Scott. You know, at a special NCAA convention this week, officials discussed making an interim policy permanent, allowing college athletes to make money from the use of their name, image and likeness. And while companies are clamoring to sign them, many athletes are trying to come up with their own financial game plan for what could be their biggest win yet. College athletes like University of South Carolina basketball forward Aaliyah Boston are now able to profit from their name, image and likeness. Sponsorships, or NIL deals, are a new way for these students to earn income. We put in a lot of work helping the school, so I think it's just really great that we can make something off of it now. She hired an agent to negotiate her NIL deals, including one with fast food chain Bojangles. Made a video and Instagram reel, posted on my Instagram and my Instagram story. Bojangles! As more deals come into play, NFL linebacker Brandon Copeland, an adjunct professor at Wharton Business School, says it's time for college athletes to create a financial game plan. I need all those college athletes who are about to make those checks and about to make that money to understand how your money works and put a budget in place so that you don't get caught without the right amount of money to be able to pay that tax bill. University of Georgia track and field star turned TikTok influencer Matthew Bowling has over a million followers on social media, grabbing the attention of a major brand, Taco Bell. It's just fun to be a part of it and be able to eat some tacos. His first deal, he says, has been a game changer. This is the first couple months I've been able to make money in my whole life. Bowling says he's working with a financial advisor and his dad to help manage this newfound wealth. Do you feel like you are already CEO of your business? I've been really uh, careful about my brand. I, I do feel like the CEO. 
Bowling is part of a new wave of collegiate CEOs with greater access, opportunity, and responsibility to manage fame and finances. And getting sound financial advice on sponsorship deals is key for many of these athletes. Sandra Richards heads the global sports and entertainment business at Morgan Stanley, and she joins me now. Sandra, you know, the number one thing that everyone wants to know, these students want to know, is what is the financial game plan that they need to have in place? They need to start with the fundamentals, right? Certainly, definitely needs to start with the fundamentals. And first of all, Sharon, thank you so much for having me. But yes, fundamentals are definitely... As you think about your sport, you think about learning the fundamentals. So in this kind of financial game plan, if you will, it is learning about the fundamentals, budgeting, investing, saving, and the like. But it all starts with having a sound financial plan and understand why are you in this? What are you in this for? A lot of those students are very concerned about their brand, and they really do need some guidance. Morgan Stanley partnered with an advisory firm, Altia Sports, to offer financial resources to college athletes in light of these sponsorship deals. And what kind of resources does your firm provide to them, and and what is the cost to the students? So there's no cost to the students. What we're focused on is delivering financial education programs in partnership with Altia's and other schools that come come to us directly. It is important for us that as these students are thinking about navigating these new waters of having opportunity and access is that they have opportunity and access when it comes to their finances as well. So our our goal is to ensure that they're armed with the information as they're making decisions in terms of what deals, what brands, and what makes sense for them. And tell me about the opportunity in terms of these NIL deals on generational wealth for college athletes, particularly for black athletes. I mean, you have an opportunity to start at a very early age to think about how do you build your wealth? You don't have to wait until you graduate, get a job or start this new career or start a new business. You have an opportunity to start right now at at an age of 17, 18 to think about what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to leave for your family? Yes, 17-year-olds, you're probably not thinking about that, but those are things that you need to think about as this new NIL ruling offers you the opportunity to build that kind of generational wealth, and it's the responsibility of us um, as, you know, these people that are sitting in, in the walls that we sit in to help these young people navigate these new waters and get them to a place where they are building this generational wealth. Absolutely. And starting with women athletes, too, female athletes getting a lot greater opportunities with some of these deals as well as the focus turns to women's sports and what they can bring to various brands. Sandra Richards, I thank you very much for joining us. And Scott, I'll turn it back to you. Really a game changing rule. Uh, Sharon, thank you so much for bringing that story in the interview to us. For more invest in you, go to CNBC.com forward slash invest in you. We should note that NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in acorns we're going to take a quick break when we come back i just found out josh brown during this show sold out of a long time position and added to another i'll give you the details right after this break all right we're back uh, teased before the break uh, these moves by josh brown all right let's do this josh um so i learned that during the show you completely sold out of verizon let's do that one first why uh, I just I feel like the stock is, ha, has been dead money and probably will continue to be. I don't see any reason uh, that I need to stick with it. I've been in it for a long time. It was a gain. It's just it's it's like money being put to sleep. 
if I wanted to do that, I could be in treasuries. And I really don't see or hear anything from the company that tells me that they have any idea how to get uh, how to get growth going again. What they're really good at, though, is paying compensation to themselves. They're excellent. Um, so I'm out. I'm done with that. We'll see if maybe I come back some other time. You also bought more Uber, which I see right now is up five and a half percent. So why load up on that now? Well, Uber is also a dog, but I think Uber has a lot of potential and a very clear path for the stock working. First of all, Dara uh, bought 200,000 shares yesterday. He revealed today that's why the stock is rallying right now. That's about $9 million. Um, Not that much money for him, but I think important. It's two weeks after they reported their first ever operating profit as a public company, which they did, I think, on November 4th. And we think the quarter that we're in right now could be its first actual uh, profitable quarter. So I think this is a, a, a misunderstood stock. I'm in good company. If you look at 13F filings, we did see some pretty savvy activist hedge funds uh, raise their positions. I'll, I'll mention three that I think are notable. Uh, Sachem Head, that's uh, Scott Ferguson. Yep. He's a protege of Bill Ackman at Pershing Square. Um, he's, he's come into the stock. If you look at uh, Maverick Capital increasing their stake by 10%, uh, Maverick is Lee Ainsley, a legend. And the last one I would mention is Point State Capital. Uh, these guys are protégés, I think, of Stanley Druckenmiller. They raised their position by 453%. Uh, so they now have 4 million shares. So I, I think the stock's misunderstood. I think Dara might be feeling some pressure seeing all these activists starting to build positions. I think something ultimately could happen here if the stock continues to be moribund. It's down 15% this year with the S&P up 25%. It is a glaring loser amongst my holdings, but I'm not ready to give up. Uh, and I think that there's way more coming to this story All right. in 22. Okay. So that's why I added to it. I want to make a segue to EVs, and I'll do it by noting that you bought more ChargePoint. Can you be brief? Just tell us why, because i got to move on and talk about some other stuff, too. ChargePoint is going to be a rising tide story. This is predominantly fleet charging equipment. And they're the leader and one of the largest market cap stocks in the EV charging space. So I, I, I have a small position there. I've been adding to it a little bit, and I added to it this week. Okay, so Dr. J, you own ChargePoint calls. Rather than talk about that specifically, I want to note that you sold your sure. Rivian shares that we made an awfully big deal about when you bought, remember, uh, just mm-hmm. so everybody's aware, on the open market, not in the IPO, unlike Pete, who had an allocation, you Correct. couldn't because of a board seat that you sit on. Um, But why sell the Rivian Mm -hmm. shares? And you also own Lucid Calls, which is having a big day today. And I literally just saw not 30 seconds ago that Lucid has now overtaken Ford in market value. Take me through that. Yeah, well, um, the, the Rivian sale, Scott, was just I wanted to be in the stock but I wanted to be in it through options. So just like Bryn and, for that matter, Jason and Josh, I'm always looking at risk. How do I mitigate it? This is my best way of mitigating it is, um, luckily, the stock is up some 50-some-odd dollars. I got in at 105. I got out at 160. I bought the 160 calls right at the money and sold the 190 calls out in December. I put about $9 on the table. I like that trade a lot better, Scott, than having a couple million dollars on this uh, stock that on any given day 
you know, if something bad happened in the markets, you could see a 20 percent drawdown. I believe in the story. They don't have the legacy problems that all the other automakers you just named Ford, but there are so many others, whether it's pensions, whether it's machining and tooling and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yes, these guys are new. So is Fisker. So is Lucid. And I think they don't have those legacy issues to deal with. That's why I like them so all much. All right. Let me, um, let me move back to Josh Lipton as we continue to follow this story around Activision Blizzard. Uh, and a disturbing story in the Wall Street Journal. Those shares are off nearly 6%, and you're learning more. Josh? So, yes, yeah, Scott, a quick update there. We were just talking about Activision. It now looks like CEO Bobby Kotick posted a video message uh, to his employees. The company posted a transcript as well. In that statement, Bobby Kotick apparently saying, quote, we've taken meaningful actions to improve our company and our culture, but there is more to do to become the model workplace we all aspire to be. More change is required, by it, but I am so confident we will get there. Scott, back to you. I know we'll follow that story. Josh Lipton, thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back here. John will do unusual activity, and he'll do it next. All right, Dr. J, unusual, what do we have today? Well, Scott, let's start with Open Door Technologies. O-P-E-N is the symbol. The stock was down about a dollar trading 24.50 or thereabouts. They bought 7,500, that's 750,000 share equivalent of the December 22 calls. I jumped in on that one, Scott, and I'll probably be in it most of the next month. Second one quickly, K-Web, it hit multiple times today. These are options that expire two weeks from this Friday. So not November 26th, December 3rd. They are, uh, the stock was 51 and a half. They were buying the 56 calls, about 10% out of the money. I'll be in those most of the next two weeks. We appreciate that. All right, another quick break. Final trades on the other side of that. Thank you, sir. All right, let's do final trades now. Man, you guys are active during the program. I love that kind of stuff. John Najarian, you included. Uh, you just bought some Macy's calls? Yes, sir, Scott. Um, saw some unusual activity in here. Pete was pinging me, are you in? And I said, yep, click. <laughs> I bought the uh, 32 calls out there uh, in uh, December, and I'll probably be in those through Black Friday and hopefully then some, Scott. All right, good real-time stuff. I, I do love that. Uh, Bryn, what do you have for us? Thank you. Yeah, XOP, it's an oil and gas ETF. You can sell the February 116 calls, get 5% income. You have a total return if it gets called away of around 14% for three months. Okay. Jason Snipe, what about you? Salesforce. I think uh, Salesforce is the most robust CRM platform in the industry, and as more capital flows into attracting and re and retaining customers, I think Salesforce is the name here. Yeah, I mean, that was part of that big call that I mentioned earlier, along with Microsoft and uh, Snowflake, as we were talking about it, and Oracle, uh, by the way, as well. Josh Brown. Uh, Uber, but I, I said my piece on that already. Sticking with it. Yes, you did. All right, and adding more uh, is Josh Brown. All right, thanks for watching. It does it for us. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.